Hello, this is Mikey, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the June 1st issue of the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. I'll start with the front page. <clears throat> Large crowd at Oakwood Cemetery honors the fallen, and this is written by Rick Oler. Perfect weather drew the largest crowd in years to the north end of Oakwood Cemetery, just to the side of the Grand Army of the Republic Monument for the Memorial Day Remembrance Ceremony this past Monday, May 29th. American Legion Post 362 Commander Keith Bender opened the ceremony with greetings, then handed the microphone to Mandy Hintz, for a stirring version of the national anthem. Pastor Tim Freed of Nativity Lutheran Church, himself a wartime veteran, offered a prayer, after which Bender noted for the first time in recent memory, someone other than Lois Hensel would read the poem in Flanders Field. Chelsea Tulin not only read the poem, but introduced it with a detailed story of its creation on a Belgian battlefield during World War I. Bender brought on the keynote speaker, combat veteran Sergeant Dave Nachreiner, whose passionate address touched on war's disregard for age, race, sex, ethnicity, or nationality of its participants or victims, and his pride in having served his country with great patriots. He asked us to remember all who served, especially those who made the ultimate sacrifice. A bugler blew taps as the honor guard gave a 21-gun salute. Supervisor James Bach and Mayor Peter Mercurio laid a wreath at the base of the monument after Pastor Freed gave the benediction. Commander Bender invited one and all to the chicken barbecue at the Legion Post on Center Street. And we have a picture of um, Mayor Mercurio placing the wreath. And then I just want to tell you that on the back page of the newspaper, there are about, uh, let's see, six pictures of the ceremony and they're really moving. There's local Boy Scouts and the um, prayers and then there are local veterans all in their uniforms from many across many conflicts, wars, um, at the um, site of a tank and then there we have the Town of Wales um, band and playing a song, the marching band. And let's see. Re <coughs> Rescuing the planet with 50 by 50. Land Conservancy hosts acclaimed environmental author Hiss, H-I-S-S. And this is also written by Rick Oler. Is it possible to permanently protect half of the natural land in this country, this continent, and beyond in order to give all species, including ours, a chance for long-term survival. 
Despite the enormity of the task, writer Tony Hiss, author of the acclaimed Rescuing the Planet, Protecting Half the Land to Heal the Earth, believes it's possible. In fact, the longtime New Yorker, contributor and author of 15 books, including the bestseller, The Experience of Place, finds himself more encouraged all the time. Last week, the Wales-based Western New York Land Conservancy continued its program of bringing noted conservation-minded writers to town by hosting his at a reception at the bank on Main Street in East Aurora. The night before, he was scheduled to speak to a packed house at Canisius College, this Montanti Cultural Center. His Land Conservancy coordinators had him and his wife Lois on a tight schedule that included a tour of some of the organization's successes, like Mossy Point Preserve, but I was able to have a few minutes with Mr. Hiss before the reception. Time spent in the company of the genial Hiss becomes part science class, part lesson in humility, and part a study in optimism, which the 81-year-old writer exudes with quiet grace and wisdom. In Rescuing the Planet, a sobering yet ultimately reaffirming book, Hiss makes the case for a plan he calls 50 by 50, protecting 50% of the national land by the year 2050. As a direct result of humanity's destructive actions on the landscape, he said, one million species of plants and animals are likely to go extinct within the next few decades. A 2019 global assessment compiled over three years by 145 scientists from 50 countries makes clear that this mining and undermining of the natural world imperils a million and first species as well. Hiss went on to say that his friend, the eminent biologist E.O. Wilson, determined that protecting 15% of the land guarantees the survival of one quarter of the species on the planet. Push that number to 50% of the land, however, and up to nine-tenths survive. The survival of those species is critical for our survival, too, as we confront climate change, carbon overload, and habitat depletion. For so long, he continued, we have regarded nature as something apart from us, something out there. Finally, we are beginning to realize our place in all of this. The integrity of all ecosystems is at stake because of our, la our land use policies. How then do we go about preserving half the land? It's really already started, Hiss said confidently. What nature needs are connections, room to move, so species can flow, migrate, reproduce, and evolve. One of my heroes, Frederick Law Olmsted, knew this. People say that Central Park and Manhattan was his masterpiece. I disagree. In New York City, he was just getting warmed up for Buffalo. He and his partner, Calvert 
Vaux identified not one, but several sites for parks in Buffalo, Delaware, Casanova, South, Front, Riverside, and Humboldt, now Martin Luther King Park. Over the years, from 1868 to almost one, uh, 1900, they established parks in all of the sites, then connected them with broad parkways. Another of my heroes is Benton McKay, the driving force behind the Appalachian Trail that runs 2,000 miles from Maine to Georgia on private and public land. He had a planetary vision. The Adirondack Park is the largest state park in the country. It introduced a brand new concept to sorry, preserving the land, the blue line. Drivers behind the Adirondack Park, and just one second while I turn the page, recognize the significance of those six million acres, but also realize that they didn't have to own them to save them. Only three million acres of the park are publicly owned. The rest are privately owned, but fall under certain restrictions of land use. It's a win-win. The same thing happened in England with the Lake District. It's land that will be forever natural, even though much of it is in private land hands. To the naysayer, or those who won't even give him a listen, he says, I find there are ways of talking about 50 by 50 that make people feel less threatened, to make them understand that settled, developed land isn't being taken away. Rather, the remaining land is being set aside and used intelligently. More and more of us are realizing that we are being summoned by necessity. Remember when they passed the ADA, Americans with Disability, ensuring that all people had access to places they needed to go. We might think of this as an ADA, an all species access arrangement, where all species have access to the places they need to go to avoid extinction. Across the continent, his sees people bubbling up everywhere to work on these things. He louds the work of indigenous peoples in Canada and the ambitious Yukon to Yellowstone initiative and the system of indigenous protected areas with their ingenious wildlife crossing areas under the Trans-Canadian Highway, which has reduced dramatically vehicle-animal collisions. The Pine Barrens Project in the southeast, where land laid waste after the Civil War has come back alive. The wildlands, woodlands, farmlands, and communities group in New England and similar initiatives in the southwest and northwest and across the northern and southern national borders. He sees farmers understanding the importance of hedgerows and wild corridors, anything that prevents islands that isolate species. It's starting to bubble up here 
with the Land Conservancy's Western New York Wild Way. They started with a few people, or as the founder, Lee Oprera, said years ago, I began the Land Conservancy with a Rolodex and a book of stamps. Now they have 18 employees and a thousand members with projects all over. They've protected 8,000 acres, which is admirable. But with the Western New York Wild Way, it's over a million acres from Lake Ontario to Pennsylvania, something that would help form a triangle with the Adirondacks and the Catskills, all of which sit on the top of the Allegheny Plateau in Pennsylvania and would connect with the Appalachian Trail. That would be impressive. Now that everyone realizes that the state doesn't have to own the land, only work with landowners to keep wild corridors open, it's doable, not punitive. The science of this, the interdependence of species upon each other, and everything from microscopic fungi, fungi to megafauna like beer, bears and moose, sorry, that was a misprint, has finally come to the fore. New Land Conservancy Executive Director John Caledon joined our conversation just as I was asking what individuals can do to help. Whatever scale works for you, Caledon said, there are opportunities to make a difference. And you are making a difference, he said, even if it's your own place. There's no such thing as a vacant lot. It's all part of the whole. Whatever you do not only makes you feel better, it makes the planet feel better. Learn more at halfearthproject.org. More information on the Western New York Land Conservancy's Western New York Wild Way can be found online at www.wnylc.org forward slash Western New York Wild Way. Okay, let me go back to the front page and we'll finish the last article there. And this is um, Board Votes on Majors Park Cabin Demolition. And this is written by David Dahl. And before we start, let me just remind you that you're listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. The Aurora Town Board is considering a last-minute effort to save an abandoned cabin with associations to Roycroft in the town of Aurora. Town board members unanimously approved the demolition of the Hubbard Shack, also known as the Hubbard Cabin, at its meeting on Monday, May 22nd. Later in the meeting, the board reconsidered and agreed to wait for an engineer's report following input from the community. Board members stressed that the cabin near Hubbard Road in Majors Park has become dangerous and the roof may collapse. 
My concern is it's unsafe, Councilman Joseph McCann said. During the public comment session, a Hubbard Road resident asked if the board would accept an engineer's assessment that would preserve the structure. I find it hard to believe we can't do something other than destroying it, Karen Mardosian said, who lives near the cabin and frequently walks by it. Mardosian, who teaches English literature at the University of Buffalo, told officials she asked an engineer to inspect the building and that the engineer told her the structure can be saved. Board members made no promises, but told Mardo, Mar, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get this name correct for you. It's Mar Dorosian, Dorosian. If she submits the engineer's report, they will consider it. They emphasize that the cabin poses a risk to anyone who enters it. It would tear me up inside if someone were to get injured there. Uh, injured there. McCann said. Supervisor Thomas Bach expressed doubts that the structure could be maintained. I don't see any fix in that building at all. Councilman Luke Wochensk concurred with Bach. Even if we did agree right now to preserve it, there's not much to preserve. After Councilman Charles Snyder suggested waiting two weeks, other board members agreed to review the engineer's report. Despite the delay, Bach believes the building will eventually be torn down. Everything is rotted out, he said afterward. The roof is ready to fall in. I'm not sure if the chimney is connected. Saving the cabin would cost twice as much as the demolition, he added, and might not be worth the expense. Anything can be fixed but it becomes a situation where it doesn't make any sense, he said. Built in the early 1900s, the cabin once served as a site for public meetings. Albert Hubbard's children, Sandy and Bert, constructed it after his death. The State Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation determined in 2002 that the building did not qualify for landmark status because of additions and other changes. When the board discussed it during its work session on May 8th, Elizabeth Cassidy, code enforcement officer, advised, adv advised officials to demolish the structure. Town of Aurora historian Robert Goler voiced no objection to the demolition but requested the R, Roycroft logo, decoration for display. An orange snow fence may be erected around the building to prevent anyone from entering in the meantime. Highway Superintendent David Gunner received a quote from the waste management for $50 per ton to take the debris to the Chafee landmill. Gunner estimated the cost at no more than $3,000. In other matters, the board appointed Maureen Kenny, an Aurora resident, as a full-time court clerk 
at $20.50 per hour and approved a pay rate increase for Elizabeth Wilbur, full-time court clerk, to $21 an hour, appointed Kathleen Eckert, an East Aurora resident, as part-time clerk in the assessor's office at $17.50 per hour to start May 30th, accepted $11,601 in funding, in state funding for the highway department from the Consolidated Highway Improvement Program, received $5,000 for the Senior Citizen Center and $5,000 for the Aurora Town Historian's Office and Community Development Aid from Erie County Legislator James Mashuski, approved the purchase of a 2024 Kenworth dump truck with Henderson Snow Equipment from Kenworth Northeast Group in Lackawanna for $260,951. Declared a 2020 Dodge Ram pickup truck as surplus to sell it. The highway department plans to use the revenue to buy a pickup truck. Authorized a legal notice to request bids for a 2022 or newer pickup truck and designated a pair of 2009 international plow trucks as surplus to trade to fleet maintenance in West Seneca for a 2023 Western Star plow truck. Trading the trucks will reduce the cost by $40,000 to $225,543. The board also voted to allow the Department of Parks and Recreation to establish a dive, diving camp the camp will be offered from 10 a.m. till noon, Monday through Thursday, beginning August 7th and ending August 17th in the East Aurora High School pool. For more details and to register, visit www.auroraRec.com. And just to tell you what this cabin looks like, there's a picture. It's been painted a pale uh, sage green it has uh, a door in the middle and a window and it had a porch and it has sort of a split rail fencing on the front of the porch or something that you would see just the X and then a upper board and um, it has a regular pitched roof and the R for Roycroft in a circle is above a a green board across the front and then it sits underneath the roof line. Okay, let's see what else we have here. <clears throat> Rotary updates the welcome sign. Members of the East Aurora Rotary Club recently undertook the task of replacing the Welcome to East Aurora sign on Seneca Street near Willardshire Road at the town of Elma Line. The sign is one of four signs that had been ordered several years ago. While three were installed, this fourth has been in storage. <laughs> the club 
obtained approval from the village board to install and update the sign to match the remaining three welcome signs earlier in the spring. And here we have the Aurora Police Report. Assault charges filed in the village. A 26-year-old male from Elma has been charged with assault after becoming physical with a 21-year-old male from Elma at a bar located on Main Street on May 21st. The report says that the victim was approached by the suspect earlier in the evening at the bar, who accused him of, quote, pouring beer on his head, unquote. The victim said it wasn't him, but he apologized anyway. He then left the establishment with his friends because the suspect continued to bother him. While at the second location at 1.30 a.m., the report says the victim was again approached by the suspect, who punched him in the nose and caused him to bleed. The injured victim went home. The next morning, the victim went to a medical clinic and was diagnosed with a fractured nasal bone. He later filed for assault charges and an order of protection. Emergency treatment for mental health. A 17-year-old male on Bailey Road was transported to the local hospital on May 25th for mental health treatment. The report says that he has not gone to school for one month. After attempting to do so earlier that day, he was denied entering the building by the administration and he went back home. The parent he lives with went to work. When his mother came home, she found him, quote, highly intoxicated and vomiting, unquote. He was not initially responsive to first responders, and he later admitted to drinking alcohol and smoking cannabis. He could not walk on his own, and he was assisted outside by the ambulance crew on a stretcher. Disorderly person, 26-year-old female from Buffalo, was transported to ECMC on May 18th around 10 p.m. while suffering from a mental health breakdown. The report says that a parent confirmed that she was no longer taking her medication for depression. That evening, she ran into a multiple traffic multiple times. She had irrational speech, and she barricaded herself in a bedroom. First responders forced themselves into the bedroom and made arrangements for her to be transferred. Erie County Sheriff's Report. Fire at Craigburn Country Club in Alma. Erie County Sheriff's deputies on May 17th were called to North Davis Road in Alma following a report of a fire at Craigburn Country Club. Fire investigators were called to the scene along with canine clipper who can detect the odor of fire accelerant. No injuries reported in this fire. In other area calls handled by the Erie County Sheriff's deputies out of Alma Substation, May 12th, <coughs> excuse me, an accident between two vehicles occurred at Big Tree and Two Rod Roads in Wales. No injuries were reported. May 13th, a fire occurred in the steeple at St. Paul's Lutheran Church on Main Street in Alma. No injuries were reported, and investigators were called to, to the scene. 
Two vehicles collided at the intersection of Bowen and Bullis Road in Elma. One person was evacuated for a leg injury after the accident. May 14th, no incidents. May 15th, no incidents on this date. May 16th, no incidents. May 17th, no incidents. And May 18th. Good. Good week. <clears throat> uh, now we have um, obituaries. Uh, memories. 15 years ago, June 1st, 2008. Discussions continue over whether to eliminate the parking lane on the south side of Main Street from Grove to Walnut Streets, following an assertion that the primary obstacle, the Roycroft stone wall, is not in its original position. Stephen Potter, John Amond, and Amelia Dion, Dean Tonus, sorry, all, East Aurora, all of East Aurora are named to the Dean's List at the University of Buffalo, having achieved individual grade point averages, averages of 3.6 or higher. Dr. Barbara Fry, first principal of Parkdale Elementary School, passed away at the age of 86. And just another quick reminder, you're listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser, on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. And let's see what else is going on. The Roycroft Chamber Music Festival partners with the Roycroft Inn. The Roycroft Chamber Music Festival will celebrate its 29th season with a series of four concerts scheduled at St. Matthias Episcopal Church at the corner of Main and Maple Streets in East Aurora. All concerts will begin at 7.30 p.m. and will run without intermission. The Roycroft Inn is offering a 10% off of pre-concert dinners for anyone who lets their server know that they'll be attending the concert that evening. Concerts will be held on June 9th, June 11th, June 16th, and June 17th. Tickets, which are $15 in advance and $20 at the door, can be purchased at Tops in the Gray Street Plaza, Elm Street Bakery on Elm Street, the Roycroft Inn on South Grove, the Powerhouse on the Roycroft Campus. Before each concert, local high school chamber musicians will perform. These groups will have been mentored by professional Roycroft chamber musicians in preparation for the concerts. The Roycroft Chamber Music Festival is a committee that operates under the Roycrofters at Large Association, Inc. Regmond earns a degree. Amelia Rose Regmond, and that's spelled R-E-J-M-A-N, of East Aurora earned a Master's of Arts from the Office of Graduate Studies at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. McNamara graduates. Rachel Mac 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 
Oh my goodness, I'm stumbling all over myself. I'm sorry. Rachel McNamara of East Aurora graduated cum laude with a degree of occupational science and a minor in business management from Nazareth College on May 13th. Joshua Kowalski of East Aurora graduated with a degree in business leadership from Nazareth College at the 96th Annual Commencement Ceremony, May 13th. Wax Wings, Bluebirds, and more. And this is written by Hans Kunz, a columnist. We had, have had a great spring so far, full of many beautiful birds and blooming and budding trees, shrubs and flowers. Nature just keeps unfolding in its many spectacular wonders before our eyes each and every day. Many species of birds have already completed their first nesting and are likely to have another brood or two in the coming weeks and months. Others are just now starting their only nesting of the season, and some are waiting to begin so that when their young hatch in the early summer, they will have plenty of insect availability to feed them. The nesting season for goldfinches doesn't begin until late July, ensuring that the young can be fed when the natural supply of weed seeds is at its peak in August and September. Cedar waxwings have been a bit of a mystery this year. It is normal for the cedar waxwings to form large flocks late in the fall and migrate south or to other regions where the natural wild fruit and berry supply is better. I remember seeing the last few waxwings in early December feeding on some crabapple-like berries on ornamental pear trees in downtown Perry in Wyoming County. This spring I have only seen a very few waxwings, and this was just recently. The mystery is where they've been and why they're still, they still seem to be so few around compared to their normal, much greater presence at this time of year. I'm sure a lot more will be here soon. Waxwings are known for wandering far and wide wherever they need to go to find food, especially berries. This time of year, they can be seen snatching insects from their perch and from a dead branch of a tree, often near water, where more insects may be available. They are rather late nesters as well, generally starting later in June and having a couple of broods deep into the summer season. They thrive on several varieties of wild berries and fruits, and also on cultivators such as blueberries, cherries, and service berries. They also enjoy the berries of mountain ash, holly, and autumn olive, among others. They nest in shade trees in your yard. If you can hear their high-pitched call, it's generally pretty easy to see them as well and even locate their nests. Waxwings are elegant birds with a yellowish-bronze color, black mask, crest, and bold yellow tail band. The eastern bluebirds are having a great early spring nesting season and many broods have already fledged. If you have any nesting in your nest boxes, 
Watch for them to fledge and immediately clean out the nest box once they leave the nest box. Eastern bluebirds will not come back to roost, but they are likely to build a new nest in that same box for their second brood. If something went wrong with the first nesting, such as predators or cold weather, your bluebirds may have recently started a new nesting. It is a good idea to monitor your nesting bluebirds and look into the nest, nest box once in a while. Check and see if ants have established a colony in the nesting material. If so, carefully remove the nest with the eggs in it from the box, clean out the ants using a putty knife, and then put the nest back in the box. I've done it a few times, but it needs to be done before the ants get too disruptive and the female abandons the nesting. There is so much to discuss about working with bluebirds. If you've never tried it, feeding them mealworms is a way to help them make it through a cold spell, during which it is very difficult to find enough food. Offering mealworms often makes all the difference to the survival of the brood during cold weather spells in spring and even into early summer. Feeding mealworms can allow you to build greater trust with your local pair of bluebirds. Speaking of birds, summer bird feeding is great fun. Plenty of sunflower seeds available for the rose-breasted grosbeaks and purple finches. Feed grape jelly to the Baltimore and Orchard Orioles in small bowls and keep your sugar water fresh for the hummingbirds. If you fed Niger seed to the goldfinches and they are stopped coming, it's because they've been eating the huge supply of dandelions that have gone to seed. Those are almost gone. Several goldfinches may return to you, your feeding station soon. Feeding raw-shelled peanuts to the birds also keeps many of your favorites coming to the feeding station. A wire mesh feeder is good to use. If you need any more information about the topics above or our bird feed shop, our bird and garden walks, or anything else, please feel free to contact me. My next bird ID walk will be on Saturday, June 10th at 8 a.m. here at our home at 6340 LaGrange Road, Wyoming, New York. It will be a short, easy walk and will end about 9.30. No fee is required. Bring a friend in binoculars. Get ready to have some fun. Let me, Hans Kunz, know if you're planning on attending. Happy birding and enjoy the beauty of spring. Hans Kunz is a lifelong avid birder and nature enthusiast. He has been writing a column for several newspapers on birds and nature every two weeks for over 30 years. He and his wife, Leslie, live on a farm in Wyoming, New York, where they also operate a small retail greenhouse and bird feed business, and also lead birding and garden walks for several groups and individuals. He can be reached by writing to Hans Kunz at 6340 LaGrange Road, Wyoming, New York, 14591, or call or text 
summer season on June 2nd. The summer season for the Aurora players is about to begin with Butterflies Are Free on June 2nd. Set in 1972, Butterflies Are Free centers as on Don Baker, a young man who has been blind since birth and his journey towards independence. The play opens with Don having just moved into a tiny, shabby apartment in New York City to pursue his dream of becoming a songwriter. His overly protective mother is more than hesitant to let him go, but with the help of his quirky neighbor and aspiring actress, he finally gets to, quote, unfurl his wings. Let's see. Butterflies Are Free opens June 2nd and runs for three weeks. Tickets are on sale now for $17 each. Showtime for Friday and Saturday performances is 7.30, and Sunday matinees are scheduled for 2.30 p.m. Summer events at the library. The following activities will take place this July and August at the Aurora Town Public Library located at 5050 Main Street in East Aurora. Space is limited. Call 716-652-4440 or stop by the library to register. Teen Summer Book Bag. Teenagers 12 to 18 years old are invited to sign up for a rock out with the library. Summer Book Bag. Bags will contain rock painting supplies, a sweet treat, a personalized selection of library books, and the chance to win a summer fun prize. Registration and personalized book questionnaires must be completed by July 1st. Book bags can be picked up on July 10th from 10 a.m. till 8 p.m. Book Club. Book Club will meet on July 6th to discuss the book Still Life by Louise Penny at 6.30 p.m. This program is geared for adults. Fitness Fridays. The library will present BAM for balance and mobility on Fridays from July 7th through August 11th at 2 p.m. These classes will teach mobility exercises that prepare the body for everyday activities that will reduce the risk of falls. This six-session class includes multiple muscle and joint movements that will help with real-life, everyday things like lifting, bending, twisting, squatting, and hauling. All fitness levels are welcome. Wear comfortable shoes and bring a water bottle to stay hydrated. This program is geared to adults 55 years old and over. Read to a dog. On Saturday, July 8th, the Erie County SPA Pause for Love program is partnering with the library for people of all ages to come and read out loud to a certified therapy dog from 11 a.m. through noon. Each session is 20 minutes long. The 
program will like, take place on August 5th from 11 a.m. until noon. Book a Technology Trainer, presented by the Techno, that's Tech, and then K-N-O-W, Lab. Hands-on computer training with a free 45-minute session designed to assist with software support or internet training will take place on July 10th. Appointment times are available for 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. This, this is a free program for adults. Local author Mary Jean Zajak, Reason to Run. Local author Mary Jean Zajak will be on hand at the library on August 24th at 6.30 p.m. to speak about her newest book, Reason to Run. Copies will be available for purchase. A book signing will follow the presentation and 10% of the proceeds from book sales will benefit the library. This program is for adults. This is just another reminder. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. A Slice of Paradise I just returned from the first true vacation I have taken in several years. This is um, written by Jane Sullivan. Don't get me wrong, I have traveled to places beyond our state borders to visit family and attend weddings, but the last time I went on a true vacation was in the summer of 2020 when, during the COVID pandemic, the safest trip was driving to the middle of Flathead National Forest and camping in the wilderness. My husband and I drove thousands of miles with the cooler full of food and beverages and so, saw no one but the gas station attendants for days. We did run into a few people at Mount Rushmore and we did see some people at the stop where we parked the car before our hike to the edge of Bob Marshall Wilderness but for the most part, we were very much alone. So our trip to the Florida Keys with the bustling crowds of tourists this past week was a study in contrast. We spent five days in paradise, otherwise known as Key West. Neither of us had ever been, so it was a check mark on the bucket list. We did just about everything you could do while there. Hemingway's house with over 60 six-toed cats? Check. The lighthouse in the middle of the island instead of on the edge in which you can climb the 88-step staircase? Check. Visits to Sloppy Joe's and Captain Tony's where Hemingway would hang out? Check and check. We also went snorkeling at the coral reef and kayaked from the Gulf of Mexico to the Atlantic Ocean encountering a sea turtle, sharks, conchs in their shells, and a mangrove tree snake and jellyfish, which we got to hold. Yes, there actually is a variety you can hold and not get stung. We went on to the ghost tour and learned so much about the island during the tour's history lesson. We visited the Shipwreck Museum we shopped and ate at the restaurants up and down Duval Street, 
littered with chickens walking around freely. And of course, we spent some time on the beach with the iguanas. It was a great trip. Within hours, we, like so many who now live in Key West, began dreaming of how to move our lives to paradise. We met people from all around the world who came for vacation and stayed. We met a lady who was married to a local school principal, and she talked about how they moved to Key West after vacationing there every year for 15 years. They have now lived in the less tourist area the, for 20 years, and they love it. We also met a couple who realized the island was lacking a comedy club, so they pulled up stakes in Boston to move to the Keys and open Comedy Key West. Our kayaking tour guide, Heather Gaines, moved to the Keys after leaving a job in the cruise ship industry. At the time, she was a struggling drug addict. That was 25 years ago. Now she's clean and sober and has written a book about her recovery from addiction and cancer. It is entitled, <laughs> Am I Dead Yet? A Story of Addiction and the Power of Hope. She jokes, as did the comedy club owners, that Key West is the place to come for vacation and leave on probation. Jonathan and I were able to avoid that. And every Uber driver was happy to share their stories of when and why they moved to the Keys. By the end of the trip, however, we began rethinking moving to paradise. Something about the last evening there really made us begin to appreciate all we have right here in western New York and East Aurora specifically again. We had a beautiful dinner on Duval Street at 9.15, a well-known seafood establishment. The food was outstanding and dining al fresco is always a joy for me. That's one of the reasons I enjoy many of the local restaurants here in town. Put me on the peristyle of the Roycroft Inn or on the patio at Ricks on Main on a warm summer day and there isn't much difference between Key West and East Aurora except the type of trees surrounding you. We ended the last evening in Key West at Vino's Wine Bar, opting to sit inside and speak with the bartender, who was otherwise alone. It felt a lot like Mambrino King, not in the decor, but in the friendly come on in, sit and visit for a bit atmosphere. Sure, we are not near the country's largest coral reef, and sure we're not surrounded by an ocean, but here in western New York, we have Niagara Falls and Lake Erie. East Aurora's Main Street boasts numerous shops and eateries, and it has something, quote, paradise, quote, does not have four distinct seasons. I may make plans to head back to the Keys and explore beyond just Key West, but East Aurora will always be paradise I want to call home. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's see what else we've got here. Uh, East Aurora Art Society sets June program. The East Aurora Art Society will begin the final time, meet the final time, I'm sorry, 
for um, this season on June 8th. Members will offer pointers on proper artwork presentation, plus tips and tricks for artists exhibiting in outdoor shows. On the last weekend of June, the Art Society will host its 67th year of a judged annual outdoor fine art show. The exhibit uh, is on Main Street grounds of the East Aurora Middle School, located at 430 Main Street. The meeting will begin at 7 p.m., but the doors open by 6.30 p.m. to sign in the guest book, meet and greet, gather some refreshments, view the members' revolving art display, peruse the treasure table for bargain art supplies, and choose a seat for viewing the presentation. Applications for membership will be available at the meeting. Um, the East Aurora Art Society meets on the second Thursday of every month from September until June at the Aurora Senior Center on King Street at Oakwood in East Aurora. For more information, uh, visit the website at East Aurora Society at webley.com. Wheel Ghost Honored, and I probably murdered that name, W-I-E-L-G-O-S-Z. Michelle Wielgosch of Holland has been named to the Bismarck State College President Honor Roll with a 4.0 grade, um, grade point average for the spring semester of 2023. And the East Aurora Kiwanis is having a chicken barbecue. Oh. Wednesday, June 7th, tomorrow. Oops, well, whenever. Backyard Bash, East Aurora, New York, 2023. Live music in the heart of East Aurora. Thursday evenings, July 6th through August 31st. Vidler's parking lot. Dancing, friends, food, and fun. Bring a chair, tailgate a picnic, or sh stop by a food truck. On July 6th, Sound Theory will be there. On July 13th, Hints of Thunder. On July 20th, Limelight University. On July 27th, Never Ben, B-E-N, sponsored by the Easter Hour Advertiser. August 3rd, Tom Stahl and the Danger Fields, sponsored by the Great Erie Federal Credit Union. August 10th, House Rockers, sponsored by Sammy's Car Wash. August 17th, Them Dudes, sponsored by Vidlers. And July 24th, Legacy of Buffalo, sponsored by 2042 North. And and I think I said July 24th. It's August 24th, Legacy of Buffalo. In August 31st, Wilson and Falling Rock, sponsored by Comfort Funeral Home. Okay. Let me just quickly go through here and see what else we have. We have a jazz ensemble 
at the Alden Farmers Market. The Alden High School and Middle School Jazz Ensemble will open the Alden Farmers Market entertainment season on June 3rd. June, Bill Larrabee is the director of the High School Jazz Ensemble and Bridget Nye directs the middle school musicians. The following week, Meet the Candidates Day, June 10th, will um, have a musical group, Porcelain Train. Any person in any party running for any position on the ballot in Alden or in neighboring towns is invited to participate. Local vendors will have something for everyone, from baked goods, blueberry wine, hand-painted birdhouses and jewelry, to handcrafted soaps, maple syrup, tie-dye t-shirts, Buffalo Bill hats, and onesies, to things to plant in the garden like tomato and pepper plants, herbs and flowers. The market is hosted by the Alden Chamber of Commerce. Vendor space is still available and there are still opportunities to sponsor events. For more information, contact, contact the, chamber of, uh, the chamber at 716-937-6177. The market is located at the Pink Cow Tractor Supply Save-A-Lot Plaza parking lot on Broadway. It will be open every Saturday morning through September 30th from 8.30 to 1. Pets, bicycles, rollerblades, and skateboards should not enter the main area for health and safety reasons. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the June 1st issue of the East Aurora Advertiser. Your reader has been Mikey. Thank you for listening.